0: Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region.
1: Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency, Rafael Mariano Grossi, emerged from his talks in Tehran over the past weekend, proclaiming a success in getting a stopgap measure in the standoff regarding the fate of the 2015 nuclear deal between Iran, all members of the UN Security Council, plus Germany and the European Union. Grossi and his Iranian interlocutors agreed to a so called temporary technical out- understanding, under which Limited monitoring activities of nuclear facilities will go on for the next 3 months while political negotiations intensify between Washington, Tehran and the European Union's headquarters in Brussels. The tension emanating from a new Iranian law dictating non-cooperation with nuclear inspectors has eased with the focus shifting to the Biden administration emerging negotiation posture. To break it all down, we are joined by, uh, from New York City, in the United States, by Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is the former Deputy Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency and a distinguished fellow at the Stimson Center at Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Also joining us from Tel Aviv, here in central Israel, is Mr. Emil Javedan Fa, is, uh, who is an Iran lecturer at IDC Herzliya. Thank you for joining us as well you been with us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and uh, host of TV7's Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding now that the additional protocol for the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action has been thrown out. Of course, a technical uh, uh, document was agreed upon between uh, Iran and the uh, IAEA, which uh, uh, the Secretary General uh, Mariano Grossi or Rafael Mariano Grossi has stated very carefully that it is – far less than what uh, the protocol initially uh, intended. Uh, where are we standing here when we're talking about inspections of Iranian aspirations or, or the nuclear program and p- potential aspirations to develop a nuclear weapon?
0: Well, to paraphrase the old song, uh, a bridge over troubled waters, this is a bridge over heavy water, um, a three-month bridge uh, during which Um, All the parties uh, to this uh, conflict should negotiate either a return to the old 2015 nuclear deal or some sort of a new deal or a mixture of both. Now uh, far be be, uh, it for me to compete with Dr. Harnonen on technical explanations of what is going uh, on here. But uh, one should remember that the uh, additional protocol is intended for those less than honest countries uh, who do not voluntarily reveal what they have. Uh, For them, for the uh, honest countries, uh, you have the original non-proliferation treaty. But when it turned out in the 1990s that Iraq and North Korea have concealed some of their facilities and activities, the additional protocol came into being. and there you have inspections which the IAEA um, announces, and the country, uh, the host country must agree to and must let inspectors in. The compromise uh, or the technical understanding, reached between uh, Grossi and uh, Salehi, of the Iranian uh, Atomic uh, Agency, uh, is that the verification mechanism will be kept in place, but the footage of the films um, uh, during this monitoring will be kept by the Iranians and will not be given over to the inspectors so that if there is an agreement reached by um, April or May, fine, they will be able to screen this old footage by then and see if there was any violation. But during this time, the Iranians um, are supposedly keeping uh, their sovereignty, they are following the law of the modulus, and everybody happy less of course, in reference to the Iranian parliament. But, Dr.
1: Hainanen, uh, did we miss anything in, in this uh, introduction? And to what degree, uh, considering snap, uh, snap inspections, uh, as uh, uh, is mentioned, of course, in the additional protocol, uh, General uh, Director General uh, Gholsey mentioned that the snap inspections remain in place, but those snap inspections are not really snap, considering the fact that there is a, a process in which you need to undergo in order to bring about those inspections in the first place. So uh, what is actually uh, the the level of transparency when we're talking about Iran's nuclear operations?
2: Thank you. I think it was a very good introduction to this matter where we stand today with regard of the IAI inspection activities. I want to draw your attention to uh, words from Raphael Grossi when he said these are necessary measures. There is no such word as necessary in safeguards parlance. Either you meet your inspection goals or you don't. And there are ver- very, very unusual arrangements now in place. Uh, first of all, SNAP I- inspections. I don't think that with the short term, this is a tremendous problem that the Iia will not make those what are called complementary access. They are not really SNAP inspections. They are complementary access to certain locations. It will, with a long term, reduce the knowledge of the program. But the crux of the matter is to which extent IAIA can do its routine inspection activities. And one example we already heard about this uh, surveillance equipment and access to the surveillance and camera records. This is not a usual practice. So, IAEA has to wait now th- three months to see what will be on those uh, films or computer hard disks. What if the equipment failed in between? It will not be observed during this because IAEA instrumentation is very well secured. Iranians will not have access to inside the surveillance system without breaking the IAEA seal. And this is only way to see whether the system is working properly so first of all there is a risk to that end then the other thing is that we are looking at enrichment plants which have certain verification timeliness goals normally one does a full inspection with all uh, ways and means once a month and the surveillance records are part of it so what this means that IIA is iai is not able to make timely conclusion on successful on success of its activities. So these are the downsides. Uh, and then certainly are then these uh, negotiations with START. I think it comes, in my view, a little bit in bad time. Because this falls exactly in the middle of the Iranian presidential race. This will probably be one of the biggest topics on those uh, Uh, negotiations and talks in Israel uh, and the candidates put their proposals forward. So I think it's very difficult for Iranian government at this point of time agree to return back to uh, to the implementation of JCPOA with, with some extra measures. And they will use this timeline to torture the us part and the other negotiators say look you know do you want it or not uh, and in a way they they have here quite a lot of instruments in their hand Indeed. and it will be very difficult to you for the us to lift the sanctions at this point of time so i see quite uh, turbulent times being ahead and the iaa unfortunately cannot meet its inspection calls but i i I'm sure that Mr. Grossi has approval of some of the key member states of the IAEA that this is the way to go and let the IAEA to fly with the Reduced Inspection regime.
1: Indeed. Well, we'll get to back to uh, back to you, Dr. Heinonen, very soon, as I would like to ask you also about a statement uh, that uh, I'd like initially to ask uh, Mr. Javadin uh, The uh, Islamic Republic Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei came out and uh, stated in front of uh, uh, a number of senior mullahs uh, who uh, attended one of his uh, uh, public addresses, or or not so public, but private addresses, uh, in which he uh, mentioned that if deemed necessary, uh, the Iranians uh, will move in order to uh, ratchet up. Uh, uranium enrichment to 60% purity, uh, and of course uh, has also mentioned the the blatant actions uh, of uh, the Americans and the E3 Germany, France, and uh, uh, Great Britain for, of course, uh, coming out in a joint statement and uh, uh, having the the audacity of, of course, voicing concerns about Iranian nuclear activities. To what degree do you see this uh, statement as? Uh, uh, part of a s- broader strategy of Iran to try and apply additional pressures on the West in order to capitulate uh, prior to the Iranian will to return into uh, the the 2015 nuclear agreement, considering also the economic situation right now, domestically speaking, where it seems like the uh, Iranian economy is devastated and it's just continuing to deteriorate as we speak.
3: Uh, yes, this is part of an Iranian strategy to pressure the United States to um, remove the sanctions. And Iran sees this as an important leverage, and it wants to drive point the home, drive home the point that uh, uh, it's America that should compensate Iran. It's America that should uh, uh, that should uh, take the first steps. And uh, if Iran feels that America is still not interested, then Iran has other options available at its disposal. Um, we have to understand that this is uh, the situation. That Ayatollah Khamenei is in a bind right now, in a way. Um, on the one hand, he feels that he has a, he has an important leverage at his hands, which is uh, one of them is increasing the enrichment to higher levels. But on the other hand, he until now I think he seems to be very concerned that Biden is not making any serious moves. Of course, recently Biden took some initial moves, he, you know, there were some restrictions regarding Iran, Iranian diplomats in the UN, that was removed, uh, how far they could move around, uh, that was imposed by the Trump administration. There's now even a, apparently a deal reached over Iran's frozen assets uh, in South Korea. But these are not in any way, shape, or form ir- enough for Iran. Iran needs to, uh, for Biden to remove the sanctions now. Iran can't go to the Russians, the Russians don't seem to be too bothered, the Chinese even less. So this is something that Ayatollah Khamenei has to revert to. And I think another reason why Ayatollah Khamenei is concerned is because, you know, I'm sure people translate the foreign press for him, if he reads what Biden's been saying since he came to office, it's far more China-Covid-China than Iran-China-Covid. Iran, and So I think that's another way to, in order to push up the- the Iran issue in the priority um, prior priority list of uh, President Biden, because, uh, you know, Iran, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult for Iran to bear the costs of the sanctions.
1: Dr. Heinonen, in layman's terms, to what degree is 60% a, a concern considering the fact that it's, of course, a lot closer to the 90% uh, that uh, is uh, necessary in order to produce a nuclear weapon or at least enough material for a nuclear weapon. What can you tell us about that, and uh, should we be alarmed?
2: I think we should, because actually this is more a symbolic presentation. And to this end, I would like you to remind, remind about this uranium enrichment scheme uh, applied by Dr. Khan in Pakistan, where he pr- produces high-end uranium stepwise. First, you go from natural uranium to 20%, then you take it out, you feed it again, you collect uh, 60% enriched uranium, you take it out, and you feed it again, and you have 90% enriched uranium. So now, what a leader tells here that look, you know, I'm on my road to this, and. I plan perhaps to use 60% enriched uranium. Then if you go to today's peaceful applications, it's a very rare application. Actually, the only one which comes to my mind at this point of time are the Russian icebreakers. They have fuel enrichment around uh, 50%, uh, 50, uh, 60%. There is no one research reactor with today, modern research reactor, which runs with that kind of fuel. So I think that we need to, to look at it to that extent. It's a threat. Is it much closer to uh, nuclear weapon, weapon? Yes, sure. But it's not anymore a huge difference, because once you have achieved 20% its uranium, which they now do, you have done 90% of the effort, which is needed to produce weapons-grade material. If you go to 60%, you add perhaps 5% to that set, then instead of being on 90% level, you will be 95% level. Then the crux of the matter is then you pile up this 60%. uh, And then when you turn it to weapon-grade material, that installation is not a big... You need only a few hundred centrifuges and that's all. So it's easy to conceal. Which, so, if we translate I that think, into time? I think time. the big, pics yes, it's a bad sign. It so tries to threaten, and we need to understand what is the real purpose of Iran's nuclear program.
1: Translating this, however, into a time frame, does this uh, narrow the, the breakout point to enough material in order to produce a nuclear weapon uh, or enough material for a nuclear weapon uh, to mere weeks or days or still months ahead and, and, and as such?
2: Months ahead, months ahead at this point of time. But if they pile up to this 60%, let's say they start to do it now, so by the end of the year they have a decent uh, stock of that. Then
1: it's a matter of days once you have that stock over there. Indeed. Mr. Oren, uh, to what degree is Israel alarmed by this fact? And uh, uh, of course, we hear about uh, the acquisition of the KC 47 uh, or 49, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is the uh, carriers that are uh, the, the aircraft that are able to refuel uh, the F 35 uh, stealth fighter jets in order to target uh, distant uh, locations uh, for potential um, um, long-distant operations?
0: Well, these um, uh, air refuelers uh, are not uh, yet uh, being supplied. And uh, if you do uh, send such a tanker to meet a stealth fighter, it is no longer stealth because the uh, meeting between the two uh, can be seen on radar. Perhaps coming back, from a sortie. After uh, there is no need for secrecy, it will uh, happen. No, Israel is not yet concerned because, as the director of military intelligence said a few weeks ago, uh, once there is a decision which is yet to be made by the Iranian leadership, it should take up to two years in order for the various efforts or lines of effort to converge. You must have a warhead, you must have uh, people who are designing it and obviously for the Iranians, uh, it would be foolish to uh, be advanced in only one of these efforts the um, uh, uranium, the fissile material, uh, because it will give Israel or others uh, a reason to strike at them before they have anything ready to strike Israel with. However, It does seem as if, and Dr. Hernan mentioned the Russian icebreakers. This seems to be an icebreaker uh, because uh, yes, it is only for three months. Perhaps it has to do with the domestic uh, Iranian calendar to the political calendar. But once you have it in place, you can extend it for another couple of months if there are negotiations. And it seems reasonable Um, to watch and see whether uh, Rob Malley, the American uh, emissary for these talks, and others, uh, and eventually Secretary Blinken, uh, will meet with their counterparts during these three months. If we are uh, now projecting ourselves uh, three months from now and nothing has happened, the confrontation will be much more severe. But one should uh, guess that there will be some progress during this time, which will give both sides um, the uh, rationale to extend these 3 months hiatus. I'd like to
1: focus on what you just said with regard to the decision has not yet been made. Uh, Mr. Javed Anfa, when we're talking about this decision, of course, in the early 90s, we had Ayatollah Ali Khamenei come out and uh, uh, state a fatwa. Uh, in which uh nuclear weapon uh production would be uh illegal uh under uh his uh religious authority uh then uh just recently we heard intelligence uh minister of the Islamic Republic come out and say, well uh this may uh be changed if Iran is pushed into the corner of course bringing the whole analogy of uh, the cat uh, uh um, parable or, or whatever um." being put into the picture. And then uh, we have now the supreme leader of the Aatollah regime come out and and state this statement about the 60%. Uh, Of course, uh, as is mentioned here, this is a threat. Is this something that uh, the Iranians, domestically speaking, are willing to bear the brunt for? Or are we seeing now things on the streets in Iran where the pressure, of course, considering the fact that uh, in the international media this might be on the, uh, the front page or the second page or third page, but it's still not the center stage. Considering the COVID and and other challenges worldwide that have center stage at this time.
3: Um, to be honest with you, I, if uh, I would not put too much, uh, too much meaning and too much stock in the uh, in the whole uh, fatwa issue. Um, there are some even who wonder if Ayatollah Khamenei can really issue a fatwa. Does he ha- is he a real Ayatollah? Does he have a real PhD thesis? Resaleh uh, Is it really his? So, you know, I think that's more for uh, domestic theatrics and those who want to um, perhaps put, portray uh, a different image of Iran. I think. Um, you know, to bring the whole issue of Islam into this and, and, you know, uh, that that Ayatollah Khamenei would not lie. We know how Ayatollah Khamenei has run the Islamic Republic. He's uh, run it much like any other politician and much worse, in fact, and he's done things that have been un-Islamic until now. So, uh, breaking a fatwa is not going to to set a bad precedent because other things, the the precedent of doing un-Islamic things has already happened. I think it's much more important to to see where Iran is going uh, with its actions. Um, for now, look, the Iranian intelligence apparatus um, is being shocked basically by the killing of Fakhrizadeh. Um, there is now uh, there's a dispute going on between the military intelligence, in this case, seems to be IRGC intelligence, and the Ministry of Intelligence. Uh, in that interview that you refer to, the Minister of Intelligence said the people in charge of uh, uh, um, uh, the security of Ahizadeh and the person who was in charge of, more important, the person who they caught, who they say they caught, was a former member of the military. Military. He didn't say which one, IRGC or the army, but he said, he sh- you know, we don't, have any re- we don't have any remit to go and uh, do intelligence work within the armed forces. It's the armed forces intelligence. And then, of course, there was a, that, no, another country attack, you know, by the IRGC intelligence, they come and said, no, this person was already out of the armed forces. So I think this is something that is, for example, this is something that the Supreme Leader will will test and will look at, as well as the economy, as well as national cohesion, as well as Iran's foreign policy vulnerabilities, if and when he decides to make a bomb, which I'm not sure he will, and not the fatwa. I think the fatwa will be far, far more below the In terms of the priority, it will be, be far less important.
1: Talking about, of course, the fatwa as a religious ruling uh, uh, in the, the Islamic uh, religion. Uh, Dr. Heinonen, I'd, I'd like to ask you, uh, as, as somebody who has been dealing with the Iranian file under various capacities in your past, uh, uh, as part also as, as the Deputy Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency, you held the Iran file uh, during 2003 when the Iranians under uh, the chief Iranian nuclear scientist, according to various reports, uh, Mohsen Fakhrizadeh, uh, was actually advancing. Uh, of course, uh, after he uh, after he was uh, uh, assassinated, uh, the the IRGC came out and labeled him as a major general, which uh, asks uh, yourself uh, whether he is indeed a civilian or uh, in uh, military capacity, but. When we're talking here specifically, uh, I don't know if you met him personally, but uh, do you think that his assassination has put the Iranian nuclear program or project uh, in a certain uh, backlash or in, a, uh, in trouble for in a certain capacity?
2: Certainly, it has an impact to the morale of some of the, pe- some of the people who might be in the leading position in that program. There is no doubt about it. But this is an important national program. So all the eggs are not in the same basket. And if we look at this uh, cache which uh, Israel lifted from uh, Tehran, the nuclear archives, so we see that there, there are a group of experts which work together. There are leaders or the leading scientists, but there is always a deputy. So I think that for the in the case of this assassination of Akrisadev, yes, it's a blow, but it's not a fatal blow. They have measures for a place, and I'm sure if they continue the program, there is already man in a helm who is leading, taking it forward. So it's more kind of a public relation type of thing, rather than really a technical matter which brings the program to halt. Delay
1: might be indeed, Mr. Owen, uh, I'd like also to hear about uh, uh, the regional implications of this uh, whole ordeal Uh, We do not have, of course, very much time but uh, also from uh, an Israeli perspective
0: Where are we standing right now? We are standing uh, uh, almost four weeks before the Israeli elections. There will be a new government perhaps a new policy uh, vis-a-vis the Biden administration Uh, right now we are in transition So uh, we will have to see come March or or, uh, late March or early April, uh, whether Israel can synchronize its policy uh, with the American one, the new American one, and then perhaps have some input into the American negotiations with Iran.
1: And meetings are currently already being taken place here in Jerusalem with regard to uh, trying to Decide what course of action to take. Uh, Of course, uh, one of the options is to identify another two women and four men who could be sent into uh, the alleyways of Tehran to get maybe another archive, but who knows. Uh, This is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to thank Mr. Javed Anfar and Dr. Heinonen for being part of today's panel, and I'd like to thank also our TV7 analyst, Mr. Amir Oren, as well as our viewers, and we will see you next time.